After the sermon, we will have a word of prayer asking the Lord to bless the preaching, and then we'll sing from Psalter 280, stanza 1, 3, and 4. Dear congregation belonging to Christ, the chapter we read this morning is by all accounts one of the most precious, beautiful chapters in, in the Bible. In this chapter, Jesus masterfully tells three stories, and he tells it in response to a criticism about him. The Pharisees and scribes were murmuring and complaining about him, and we're told Jesus, in response, speaks a parable to them. It doesn't say three parables, but one parable. One extended three-part parable, you could say. And to help us this morning in understanding this whole chapter with its three stories, with one gospel message, let's imagine, and I say this now to the children, that this morning you are given a telescope. Have you ever looked at a telescope before? At the starry sky to see its wonders? Well, this morning with the telescope of Luke 15, let's look in it and see the wonders of the Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, with telescopes, often you have the, the first part for viewing, and then a second part, and a third part, and even more, depending on the telescope, all to look closely at what you're zooming in on. And to understand what we will zoom, on, zoom in on in this service, yes, we do need to know the context of this chapter, Luke 15. And it's told to us in the first verses of the chapter, which we read. What do we read in the opening verses? Verse 1 tells us that many publicans and sinners were going to Jesus. And they were staying close to Jesus. They were hearing and hearing him, and they were being ministered to by him. Jesus, in the chapter before, had just emphasized what it means to be his true disciples, his true followers. It means trusting and following him with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength, regardless of the cost, believing him as the only Savior and the wonderful Savior and Lord of our lives. Publicans and sinners, in the text, refers to, I think you all know that, refers to those who, who lived immoral and dishonest lives, wicked, ungodly lives even before God and others. But now, the text tells us they were coming to Jesus and finding full and free salvation with Him. But we are told in the next verse, the Jewish religious leaders, they despised Jesus for receiving these sinful people. They said, and in the Greek, they kept on saying with murmuring and complaining as criticism of Jesus, this man receives Sinners. The proud religious leaders thought it the worst thing possible that Jesus even would eat and drink with them, such like people. Well, congregation, what they said as a word spoken evil of Jesus, Jesus now in the three in one stories he tells, he proclaims, you are right. This is the precious gospel all people need to know. 
God in Christ receives sinners. Yes, most graciously and gladly so. The blind religious leaders congregation, they unknowingly spoke the most wonderful good news of the gospel tidings. This is what Jesus makes most beautifully and bountifully clear in the three stories he tells with their one gospel message, God in Christ receives sinners. You know, it can't be stressed enough how important that we each understand what Jesus teaches us here in Luke 15. When we really see it, what Jesus teaches us, it is so moving and marvelous and motivating in life. You know, I heard the other day from someone from another church in another province. He told me how hearing the sermons on Sundays just made him so look to Jesus and so want to love Jesus and really want to live for him more and more. Well, I'm praying that God will so bless this sermon to us all too. It's such a heartwarming gospel message, so inviting to lost sinners and so encouraging to saved believers. So yes, children, are you ready to take up the telescope of Luke 15? With the Bible in your hand, think now with me of looking at that first story in the verses 4 to 7. What do you see? As you look through that telescope in our text passage, do you see with me a man, a shepherd with a hundred sheep? Look at them. They're all in the fold. A shepherd with a hundred sheep. Except something is wrong. What is that? Well, one, one of the sheep is missing. The shepherd notices this. For sure he does. And he doesn't then think, well... I have 90 and 9, and if one is gone or lost, so what? No, no, the shepherd, we're told, he leaves the 90 and 9 to search out for that one that is lost. Isn't that what the text says? The shepherd, he goes into the wilderness, into remote, far places. Do you see it in the text? Far out where also wild animals may, and many dangers are. And he's all out, you see, for that lonely, stray sheep. Wherever it is, the shepherd searches, night and day even, going after that lost sheep till he finds it. You know what Jesus is saying here? He is making known congregation, especially also for those religious leaders, but really for us all, his heart of love and care towards lost sinners. The shepherd doesn't even just wait till the sheep finds its own way back to the fold. No, but notice, he goes out of his way to find the lost sheep. Isn't that good news? For you know too, don't you? Sheep will never by itself find their way back to the fold. What Jesus is saying with this is that no sinner will of himself or herself come to God in true faith and repentance. But the gospel is except God come to seek and to save us. We would never, ever be saved. Not a single one of us, not any of his sheep would ever be safe in his fold. In this first story, then, we learn Jesus even does more than receive sinners. It is he, the good shepherd, who actually seeks 
and calls and gathers his sheep from their lost place and condition from wherever they may be found. You know, Jesus is doing that right now in church here this morning among us. And do you see something, something else in our first telescope picture that's very special? You see it with me, don't you? Oh, look, when the shepherd finds a lost sheep and he sees it in its weak and broken condition, maybe you're in that condition right now, what does he do? Does he shout at that sheep? Does he beat that sheep? Does he kick it? No. What does the text tell us? He takes it up gently and carefully and lovingly carries it on his shoulder. And notice he does this with so much joy and thanksgiving. Verse 5 reads, When he has found it, the lost sheep, he lays it up, he takes it up on his shoulders, rejoicing. You see what Jesus is teaching here? Oh, how he cares to save sinners and delights to save sinners, even the most poor and needy, the most lost and wayward. Jesus is that kind of good and gracious shepherd of his sheep, stray sheep, lost sheep, wayward sheep, stupid sheep. Is that perhaps you here this morning, even considering this past week or last night? Are we not, says the Bible, all like sheep who've gone astray? We have turned everyone to his own way. The Jewish religious leaders didn't know the half of how God in Christ receives sinners, most graciously and gladly so. Verses 6 and 7 tell us further, it shows us the thankful celebration with the lost sheep being found. It's a matter of endless rejoicing, not only for the sheep saved and other sheep with him, but for the angels in heaven and especially for God himself. Oh, the Lord, congregation, delights in mercy and in saving sinners, wayward, lost sinners, stray sinners, foolish sinners. How endlessly pleased is the Lord when vile, lost sinners come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ as blessed Savior of sinners because that brings glory to God and is so good for the sheep and the lambs saved by Him. Well, do you think, congregation, that the, that the scribes and Pharisees would have got the message from Jesus just with this first short story already? Yes, especially too, with, when Jesus says what he does at the end of the first story in verse 7. Wouldn't that verse have been like a pointed, convicting testimony from Jesus to awaken those self-righteous, loveless Pharisees and Jewish leaders who didn't think they needed Jesus? to be their Savior. I say to you, says Jesus, speaking to them especially, that likewise there shall be joy in heaven for over one sinner who repents more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Well, you may have questions, as I do, further about this first story, but maybe it's best to explain it by going to the next story that Jesus tells in our text. Keep looking through the Luke 15 telescope and move to the next section, will you? Pull it out in view, and let's see that story now. What is it about, the second story? It's found in the verses 8 to 10. Luke tells us that Jesus speaks now of a woman 
who had 10 pieces of silver. You could comparatively say today, she maybe had 10 $100 bills. And likely it was her savings account. But then one day, she finds that she has only nine of those coins, and one is missing. It is lost. Oh, no. What does she do? Well, Jesus tells us. You see that? As you look through the telescope of our text chapter, she searches all over, lighting a candle and sweeping the house to find that lost coin. Think here of being in probably a one-room house with no windows and likely a dirt floor. You can imagine it wouldn't be easy to find the lost coin. And the emphasis is on the careful searching. Very likely, the woman went on her hands and knees and with her hands on the floor to find that coin. And oh, what joy when she finds the lost coin. Jesus tells us she in fact celebrates her finding the lost coin, calling her neighbors to rejoice with her. Haven't you had it before too, children and older ones? That you lost something and you looked everywhere for it and all of a sudden you find it again and it makes you so happy. You tell others, your wife, your, your mom and dad. You can even have that with, with playing with Lego. You know, sometimes you're making a set and there's a part missing. Yes, it's somewhere else in the big pile or with another thing you made and, and you can't find it and you're all upset but, but then you all of a sudden find it and it makes you so happy. The piece seemed lost, but you found it, and you can complete the set. You see, Jesus is telling us here, congregation, not only is all, not only is he, but all heaven, including the numberless good angels, they are all so glad and rejoicing over one sinner who repents. One lost sinner, one lost sheep, One lost coin that becomes found, that becomes saved by God's grace and His searching and saving love. Oh, that brings joy on earth and joy in heaven, boundless and ecstatic joy. And again, Jesus is instructing here. Let's get this. He's instructing the Jewish leaders. You see, rather than murmuring and complaining that Jesus receives sinners, shouldn't they be praising and glorifying God? For this gospel fact and celebrating it with exceeding joy. How blind to the gospel and how hardened in their sinful ways they were not seeing this truth. For truly what can compare, congregation, to a lost sinner, a wayward sheep, being found by the Lord and rescued and renewed and redeemed by the Savior. Children, don't you think that Jesus is surely a great storyteller? He really knows how to teach the gospel in the most beautiful and convicting and compelling, simple way. Don't you agree with me? We see that all the more yet with the last story in the Luke chapter 15. Yes, it's the story, you know, of the the father with two sons, the younger who was a prodigal, a wicked son, and the older a Pharisee, a self-righteous son. We will come to that more in a moment. But even as you take up your Luke 15 telescope now again, and this time extend it to the third part, yes, to the verses 11 to 32, even as you do that and begin to focus on what is put in our view from that part of the text chapter, just listen to this interesting detail about the whole chapter. As others have pointed out, with the three stories in one, 
It seems like Jesus is describing all kinds of lost sinners to us. With the first, about the lost sheep that was found, Jesus tells actually of a foolish, wayward, careless sinner, covenant child, being mercifully saved by Jesus in his grace. Children, have you learned, young people, older ones, have you learned what a wayward, foolish, careless sinner you and I are of ourselves? Do we realize, I confess, even as a young child, our great need of Jesus to be our Savior, yours and mine too? And then with the second story about the lost coin, Jesus tells of, you could say, of the completely ignorant, dead, lifeless sinner brought to salvation by the seeking and saving love of God. Commentators mention how lifeless coins do have an image on them. And even as fallen, depraved, spiritually dead sinners, we still are God's image bearers. And what is the gospel message? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and sent him to this fallen world to seek and to save totally depraved sinners like you and me and to restore such like to his redeemed and renewed image bearers to God's glory. And this is something God delights to do. Again, I ask children and young people and everyone, have you and I learned, maybe painfully and shamefully so, how our lives of ourselves, yours and mine, are so marred and mired even in sin and darkness and evil and how, how, how lost in the muck of this cursed and fallen world of ourselves. And in other words, have, have you seen, have you understood your need of Jesus Christ to seek and to save you too in your life before God and others? Oh, how often even at home you and I sin, don't we? for our spouse or before our parents or before our siblings. By nature, there's no godly shine in our lives, yours and mine. Oh, boy, we sure need the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ in our minds and hearts. No one here, without exception, is without that need. And doesn't Jesus, in our text passage, in all three stories, with this one gospel message emphasized in this regard, how important that you and I repent of our sin and, and that we trust Him. Jesus receives graciously and gladly all sinners who repent of sin and come to Him, asking Him to save them from all their sin and misery. And you see that comes out all the more clearly in the third parable. It goes from 100 to 1, 10 to 1, and now 2 to 1. In the third parable, coming to that third story, we learn, don't we, about a most rebellious and thankless, willful, wicked sinner in the prodigal son, coming to repentance. And when we turn into his father, oh, how he is graciously and gladly forgiven and restored. 
The story is so full of instruction and there's way more to say about that than I can now. And I too have preached different sermons on the passage by itself. There's even this third parable. But this time we want to take all three stories in one just to drive home this one wonderful message. Christ receives sinners coming to him oh, most graciously and gladly so. In fact, in this last story, it ends yet with another type of sinner, doesn't it? Described in the elder brother. He represents, as I said, the Pharisee type. They are sinners who see no need of Jesus. Are there such like here among us? God cares for such too, our text says. And he urges them too to come to him and not to stay away from him. Altogether, it's in, in, in this third story, we learn about God's tender mercy and wonderful loving kindness even for the worst of sinners and for sinners of all stripes and kinds. The gospel of Jesus Christ is God in Christ receives sinners oh, most graciously and gladly so. Indeed, for as many as come to him and for as often as you come to him, And all those who come to him, they find out they came because of the Lord's drawing mercy and power shown to them in the first place. If we love him ever, it's because he first loved us. All three stories in our text chapter give the one message we need to know how God is mighty to save and always ready and willing to save sinners. Indeed, Jesus rejoices to receive and to save sinners. Does he ever? most graciously and gladly so. And to prove this now beyond a shadow of a doubt, children, maybe at this point, yes, take your telescope and let's look a bit closer at the last part of the last story of the Luke 15 telescope. It's about a father with two sons, right? And look, ah, it's very sad. It's very sad, really. The youngest son, he doesn't like it at home with his father. Nope. He wants to live in sin and in the way of the world, and he doesn't want to be stopped in any way or fashion. Children, do you sometimes live that way? Do you want to live in disobedience and rebellion against God and your parents? You know, that's our sin and our sinfulness, isn't it? In this son asking for his inheritance early, he's more or less saying, Dad, I wish you were dead already. Because I want my inheritance now. Parents can't nor do always give an inheritance of money for their children. But this father was wealthy and he had an inheritance planned for his children. The father gives the youngest son what he asks. And what does the son do with it? Look in your telescope. What does the text tell us? What is the scene? Well, we're told the son, he takes that money and he goes away and he lives in wild luxury and extravagant partying, riotous living, wasting all the inherited money his dad gave him. And before he knew it, he ran out of his money and he lost his friends because the friends he had were just there for the money and the parties that he gave them. And soon enough, very soon, that son began to be in deep trouble with no more money and no more friends especially when a famine came, as the text tells us, where he now lived. And that rebellious sinner, we're told, he went from riches to rags and he found out what the Bible teaches throughout. The way of transgressors is hard. 
The devil loves to suggest and promote the way of sin and ungodliness is fun. And it's all games. But sooner or later, it's not at all. It's just misery and grief and trouble and restlessness beyond words. Children, how does Jesus show in the text that man's sinful ways were not so pleasurable after all? Well, we're told the man was left destitute, penniless, and very lonely. No one would even help him. So much so was he in trouble, he ended up, we're told, working for a pig farmer, and he so wanted some of the pig slop and some of the husks that the pigs were fed, for his stomach was so hungry and needy, but no one would give it to him. Most repulsive and disgusting, surely, is this story, especially for the Jews, to hear this. How important we get the message, congregation. Jesus teaches here that sin never pays, though it may look so good at first. The sooner and the more we learn that, the better. Well, how the story of the prodigal son in so much misery, congregation, should ever remind you and me, don't be tempted to scorn God and indulge in sin and this world as if that's the better way to go, for it only leads sooner or later to endless distress and hopeless despair. But God comes to the rescue. That's what our text story tells us. Wonderfully, what does Jesus further tell us in this story? We're told the prodigal son came, came to his senses, and that doesn't mean he came to his senses by his own power, but we can believe from the rest of the Bible, the Holy Spirit worked in him, reminding him of the gospel truth, awakening him, regenerating him, and he decides he should leave his wayward ways and his terrible plight and go back to his father. Yes, go back to the very one he had so sinned against and wronged. He would go back, not pleading any rights, but only asking for mercy and grace to be received back, not as a son now, but as a servant. That's the way of true repentance. You don't come with all kinds of conditions and no, you come, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. When there's true confession, true repentance, you confess your sins and your sinfulness and you ask God to forgive you in his mercy and grace and you claim nothing except your sin that you bring before him. Do you do that too, everyone here? Do you know this way of repentance? Come to God being sorry for your sins and asking for his forgiveness and help against sin. Is that you and me? Isn't God so merciful when you and I so come to him initially and time again? And he is so for his own namesake. He receives sinners graciously and gladly so. And here, congregation and children again, we need to be looking at our telescope, looking at the next scene. Oh, it's one of the most beautiful pictures drawn by Jesus in all the Bible. What does it tell us? What does it show us? Look, you see it right? That prodigal son, he's returning to his father. And he sees a house in the far, far distance of his father. And will his dad receive him back? Or will he disown him and drive him away forever? Surely, that's what the prodigal son deserved. But what does the son see and, and find out? Why, 
even, even before the son could see the father's house. The father could see the son in the far distant returning home. Ah, he had been often looking for his wayward son, praying for him, for his homecoming, with longing and prayer, often already. And behold, as the father now, he sees his son coming. He, he gathers his robe together. He runs down the outside stairs of the home, and he begins running as fast as he can to meet his wayward returning son out there in the distance. Oh, it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? of God in Christ receiving sinners most graciously and gladly so indeed. Yes, for notice further what happens in the story. Jesus tells us, he tells with exact details, very purposefully, precious truths. We learn before the wayward returning son could speak a word even, the father fell on his neck and kissed him with a very warm welcome. It's doubtful that the son had a shower before coming home. But the father welcomed the lost son just as he was. And he welcomed back his son with repeated kisses of love and joy with his return. You know the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon? He once preached a sermon just on the part of this parable about the father kissing kissing the son. And he had seven points. Seven points. Spurgeon said, the father's repeated fervent kisses here, one revealed his much love. Two, his much forgiveness. Three, his full restoration. Four, his exceeding joy. Five, his overflowing comfort. Six, his strong assurance of salvation. And seventh, his intimate communion with his beloved son. For sure, altogether, congregation, it proves God in Christ receives sinners most gladly and graciously so. And isn't this further proven in the story when the son finally begins his confession of repentance, but it seems isn't able to finish it for the father then again seems to break in with words of comfort and welcome home, doesn't he? Verse 22 stresses the wayward son would be given a new robe and ring and sandals, all signs of being accepted back totally and freely, not just as a servant, no, no, but as his dear child, most beloved. And to express the father's joy with his son return, we are told the father also instructs, doesn't he, that a fatted calf be slain and, and that a joyful feast be made. And you see, nothing pleases the Father more than when sinners turn from sin and trust in Him. For Christ receives sinners, most graciously and gladly so. Now here we need to be balanced. And we need to say, it's not that the prodigal son's repentance isn't important. For it is, of course. Without confessing our lostness, you and I don't know about being founded of the Lord. The gospel is repent and believe the gospel and you shall be saved. But you see, this is really important to get. The prodigal's acceptance back home is not because of his repentance, but because of the abounding love and mercy of the Father. Or you can say of God, the Heavenly Father, in and through Christ Jesus, the Savior of sinners, for sinners like us. As one put it, no one has ever been more obviously completely saved by grace than the prodigal son. 
His Father gave him free forgiveness and unconditional acceptance with the full right to be his son. He gave him back everything that he had lost and more. Notice how in verse 24, the Father explains in words most dear, even after the prodigal son confessed, he wasn't worthy to be a son anymore, but could be a slave. Could he be a slave in the household? The Father says, no, no, no. You're welcome home, son. Dear son, and we will have a feast celebrating your return to me. Indeed, for as verse 24 says, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. So with this story in the Bible, dear children and everyone here, let us never hesitate to go back to God when we fall into sin. I remember sometimes hesitating. I'm thinking, how can he receive me? If we become wayward and we go astray foolishly and wickedly, but however badly we fall or have fallen, and for however long, go back, go back to God in Christ Jesus from all sin and from your evil ways and return to him, repent and come home and know God in Christ will receive you, yes, most graciously, gladly, gently, and generously so. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, declared Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15, adding to it, of whom I am chief. In this last story of our text chapter of the three stories, we see most climactically and dramatically, dear congregation, don't we, the compassion and the love of God in Christ Jesus towards sinners like us. As someone said, there's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. For the love of God is broader than the measure of man's mind and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. Oh, that this would draw us each and all to Him truly and continually for as long as you and I live. And dear children and youth and everyone here, the sooner and the more often you and I so come to Christ for His mercy and grace, yes, also in your life, the better, the better. And it's for sure the truth. Don't doubt it. There's no sinner of whatever stripe or kind or degree beyond salvation with the Lord. Come, says Jesus, to all sinners, come. To him, repent and believe, and you too shall be saved and freely and fully welcomed and loved with abundant mercy and everlasting love in Christ Jesus. No one perishes in sin and evil because God isn't gracious enough, or with him isn't plenteous redemption, or the Lord doesn't delight in mercy, nor freely welcome sinners to him. The exact opposite is the case. And this is what Jesus is so driving home in all of Luke 15. All three stories you see in this chapter have one gospel message over and over, deeper and deeper, more and more. We have just skimmed the surface, but just skimming it. Oh, how delightful, how wonderful to hear the message without question. Christ, the Lord, receives sinners most graciously and gladly so. Are you still holding your telescope, your Luke 15 telescope? Notice with me the last scene of, this, of our text in verses 25 to 31. What is going on there? 
Ah, we see the father with the elder brother ministering to him, don't we? You see that? Urging him to come to join the feast and rejoice with the returning prodigal son. His brother come home again. We learned the older brother was upset, wasn't he? With the return of his wayward brother and the free and full welcome he was given. The younger brother had lived such a wasteful life. And compared to the older brother, who always just did his duty, why was so much love being poured out now on this scoundrel brother? The older brother, he lived in self-righteousness. And he was feeling deprived of what he felt he deserved for all his good deeds and for his faithful service over the years. But you see, congregation... If we come to God with our own works to gain His acceptance and His favor, oh, we are not acknowledging then, are we, what sinners we are in ourselves and how we need Jesus to be our Savior from start to finish. Does Jesus here picture the older brother? Doesn't He picture him as a lost man just like the prodigal son had been. Only the one was lost in a wild, worldly way, you could say, and the elder was lost in a religious, self-righteous way. But what we need to see, congregation, and what's the emphasis of the text is how Jesus shows the Father's care and love in the text, in and through Him as Savior. And He cares as much for that older brother as the younger one. Never is the Savior pleased in the death of the wicked, but that all come to Him to be saved and come to Him for fullness of life and abundant life and eternal life, full of joy and peace and fulfillment and promise now and forevermore. The last story can be interpreted as not only being in reference to all people individually, but also in reference to the gospel word for Jews and Gentiles. Some have said how meaningful this last story is showing not only God's care and love towards Gentiles and heathens, as represented maybe with the younger son, but also towards the Jews and the covenant people, as represented in the elder son. When knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ, you realize it's the one and only gospel for sinners all over, from every tribe and tongue and nation. And the way the chapter ends, have you noticed that before? We don't we don't know if the elder brother joins the feast. Did Jesus do this on purpose? That we might apply the story more to ourselves, each one of us? For sure, in the light of the three stories, with Jesus showing God in Christ being so gracious and merciful, we all can know how monstrously evil and most wicked and foolish to go on in life despising and rejecting the one and only Savior God who receives sinners who come to Him. The lost are found with Jesus. Jesus shows how all turning from Him and resisting and re all turning from Him and resisting and rejecting Him, they, they're, they're going to be lost. They're going to stay lost forever. Will you be someone in church who even with Luke 15 in the Bible yet never truly comes to Christ? God forbid. 
No, rather, let us all, whatever sinners we have been and are of ourselves, let us all by God's grace and Spirit now be as those who truly repent of sin and believe on Him and keep day by day coming to this Savior for all our salvation from beginning to end. There's one more scene yet I need to ask you to look at with me. Looking into the telescope of Luke 15 before us and beyond. Actually, you have to pull out the next section of a telescope to see this, really. For what makes congregation, all three stories that we have looked at, so sure in Jesus' teaching? Proving, yes, that God in Christ delights in saving sinners without a doubt. Well, we must look further in the context and beyond and remember where Jesus is heading as he tells his three stories in one. You know what I'm referring to, don't you? I'm thinking here, of course, of Jesus heading to Jerusalem steadfastly. even as he offered to God the perfect righteous life that God rightly calls for from us. Because of him and his finished work, there is now room and a sincere welcome for all sinners who repent of sin and return to the Father, pleading his mercy and grace time and time again. Well, I must end also as my life has ended. But let me ask you, isn't Luke 15 a beautiful chapter? And will you pass on this chapter to others? Who might you tell others that Jesus Christ gladly and wonderfully receives sinners? He likes to save. Who might you pass on this Luke 15 telescope even in the week to come? It's a good question. May God bless his word to us, for ourselves, and through us, for those around us, and to Him in all the glory. Amen. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for the precious gospel. And we know that gospel, but the older we get, may the gospel more and more be precious to us. Those who know it best, love it like the rest. Those who first come to know it, and Lord, again we pray that the gospel may be always overwhelming to us and that we be filled with gratitude for so great a gospel and so wonderful a Savior who graciously and gladly receives sinners. We thank you that what the Pharisees and scribes meant as a severe criticism of Jesus, you turned it around and said, you are right. This is what I'm all about. I receive sinners. Oh, Lord, may we never forget it. And may this never have to testify against any one of us. And we pray it all in the forgiveness of our sins, even in worship and in preaching and listening. We pray it in Jesus' name. Bless our fellowship now. Bless the catechism and Sunday school classes. And 
Bring us together again to your house this afternoon, we ask. Not because we deserve it, but for Jesus' sake, the Savior of sinners. In his name we pray. Amen.